One. Sometimes seasonal patterns work. Sometimes they don't work. Sometimes they really work. Did we not prepare you for sell Rosh Hashanah and buy Yom Kippur? If not, then you just must need to re-listen to the show every day. Big day on Friday, and we're not liking the price action. Tim Quast, he's going to help us put it together. Maybe he could come up with a bullish framework for this market. It's Monday. There's no earnings coming up. No major earnings. It's Fed week. Got a lot to discuss on Monday's pre-market prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Say goodbye to the September contract. Say hello to the December contract. S&P 500 index futures down six and a quarter, 44.91.75. The buck just still flirting with breaking out above 105. That's down a nickel. Bonds are down a quarter point, not moving much there. Crude won't give up, up 51 cents at 90.53. Gold and silver flat, and I guess if you wanted to be long something, uh, be long Bitcoin over the weekend. It's uh, $885 higher at $27,360. Uh, let's bring in Triple D here. And Triple D, man, I, I know there's times to be like neutral and bullish and bearish. And super bearish or super no. bullish. And I know you've been the neutral to bearish. Is there anything out there that you're looking at that's going to put you in that super nasty bear camp? Not yet. Um, I'm just sitting that neutral to bearish. Definitely not bullish. Definitely sitting with a lot of cash in the long-term portfolio and leaning short uh-huh. in the trading account. Um, it's just, there's, I just don't see the catalyst to drive us imminently higher. And I see lots of potential catalysts to drive us lower. And valuation's obviously been one of them that's been a concern. But to your point here, Joel, it's the lost leadership we're starting to see here. It's not good that NVIDIA hovered around the 450 for three or four days and now has broken down. And not only breaking down Friday, we're down another eight points here this morning. So you're starting to see where the leaders, you got to own them. You know, Kramer was right when Apple was at the top. And again, we love Jim Kramer, but... I don't think he's always the best stock picker in the world. Um, You know, it's 180.70. is like, if you didn't buy Apple, you missed out. Now you're never getting back. It literally collapsed two days later. I think Apple's got a date a lot lower here. I think paying 29, 30 times earnings for Apple was, you know, good when the story was hot. I think the story is cooling off. The AI story is cooling off. How do we know that? We see NVIDIA going down. It is the pure AI play. Everybody hyped up for the ARM IPO. While it's starting to show a little bit of coolness, getting an analyst here today, there's a lot, and we're going to get to that in a second too, uh, um, with a, with a sell rating on it. But I just think, like, why do I want to own expensive stocks 
in a higher rate environment when I have such a good alternative to stocks and bonds probably being the best alternative, but cash being a very good alternative here right now too. So I just think we're in the same predicament that we were hyped on the big AI story for the last few months. That story's cooling off and now we're left with an economy that is starting to teeter. I just want to talk about Friday's price action from uh, just a couple different perspectives and we can get into some individual users. Uh, I always talk about uh, with Josh, like the propensity of the market to make a higher low for the week on a Friday, right? And then whether or not you get that follow through through the uh, the following Monday. Now we all know what Friday was. It was the quad witch expiration. It was the commencement of the Jewish holiday. And what you did during the Globex session on Friday was you made a new high for the week. When you traded up to uh, 45.66, and that was just below last week's high, right? So you're like, okay, you know, expiration, you know, we're going to finish up here on the week. The exact opposite happened, and we ended up making a new low for the week in the same session. So I, I cannot remember when that's happened, the last time it's What's happened. crazy stat. But, yeah, but if anything, what it tells you is... There's going to be some sellers on any rallies here. I, I don't know where the buy the dip area is, but there will be sellers on firm sellers on rallies here. So that, uh, that's what I'm looking at from that price action on Friday. Let's bring Money Mitch here in and get his thoughts as well. Um, I know he's uh, in the background. And Money Mitch has been leaning towards the bearish side here too. How are you feeling about Friday's action, Mitch? Like break down the technicals. You do the live trading. You're getting a feel for it. You're kind of in there as well. Um, it felt to me like the bulls on Thursday, and especially even Wednesday or Thursday, you started seeing, you know, a lot of bullish tweets, you know, because we started coming up. And they're like, hey, look, you know, we got this inverse head and shoulders going in the queues, you know, so we're looking like we're going to break out to new highs. I saw a lot of that on Wednesday and Thursday. That all went cold on Friday. Nobody even talking, you know, that now, because obviously Friday's turn was a little bit ugly. What are you seeing out there? What are you feeling? I just take it back to what you guys have been talking to and how the second half of the year could be trouble, right? And could be choppy. That's what I think we're seeing here, right? We're seeing that second half play out. We're getting some up action, then down action, up action, down action. And I kind of expect the same. Um, I don't expect this, you know, coming back down to dangerous prices, but why not just go down closer towards 430s? 440s and then bounce right back into the 440s to 450 range. Sure. I think we'll be stuck here the rest of the year. And that's going to be the trouble of how, how do you play this, right? When we're, the market's not trending, that's easily when the momentum traders get crushed. Yes. And I think it's why you have to be able to flip. You can't just come in and say, I'm a Momo trader and that's all I do. You can go find pockets of momentum, but it's so much easier to trade your environment. Sometimes we're trading momentum. Sometimes we're trading a hot story. Sometimes we're trading contrarian, fading everything. And I think that's kind of the market that Mitch is talking about here. And we've been talking about it too. I mean, chop sideways. We get everybody turning bullish on Wednesday and Thursday, inverse head and shoulders in the queues. And all of a sudden, boom, the rug pull. And now that inverse head and shoulders doesn't look that great. And if you look to the IWM, you could see the opposite here, too. I mean, this is the fun thing about technicals. It can always tell two stories. Look at the head and shoulders in the IWM. And the, I am long the IWM in my long-term portfolio. <laughs> but, I mean, 
this looks very head and shoulders. He looks like a head and shoulders in a head and shoulders. So I'm just looking <laughs> at the left, June, July, the head up there in August. And now we're forming the right shoulder in August, September. But then you could even say even closer, well, you got a little left shoulder at the end of August, the head at the beginning of September. And now the right shoulder forming here. It's like a head and shoulders within a head and shoulders. What's that mean? The double head and shoulders pattern. I mean, I don't know if it means anything because I'm not a big pattern trader, but it's definitely not bullish. Uh, the other thing, too, and this just goes right along with this conversation is, you know, streaks. You like to see streaks in the market, right? In two, three, sometimes when they get over four, the four goes to five, the five goes to six and the good old, you know, good old days when, uh, you know, the market had more momentum. But it's like it just illustrating the lot. You know, you had you had three, you know, three down in a row. You're like, oh, man, we're in trouble. Then two up, then one down, then two up. I mean, there's no. There's really no like the bulls are. It's a really it's a battle between the bulls and the bears, and no consistent patterns. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go overall. I got a little bearish over the weekend. The price action here is determining it. We did take out last week's low. That is a good number, but a better number is lat is the, the low from two weeks ago with the rollover at 83 and a quarter. So the bulls still got a little something to cling to here. Like we could be in a hundred point trading range. But they got they got some work to do here on this Monday morning. They got to get us back in the forty five hundred handle. Or I know Jake had talked about forty four fifty. I think we take out uh, that that two week low. I think we we could go a lot lower than that. Dennis, one other thing you mentioned is what's the catalyst to take us higher? Like I, you know, I don't the know strikes. You know, the strikes being settled, the Fed pivot. I mean. What what could you know? What's Fed pivot is not coming anytime soon, and that's what the bulls were saying. Second half, we're going to start seeing rates go down. The only way you start seeing rates go down is if the economy falls off a cliff. That's when you start seeing. So that's not going to be good news for stocks. I don't see the imminent catalyst here. I've seen a lot of companies warning. Like, let's look under the hood a little bit. How many companies have been warning? At four airlines warned. That's not great. Again, it's fuel prices, so maybe that's just. But then you had some sneaky warnings. Nucor, that's not a good warning from Nucor Steel. And nobody was talking about a Friday morning. The stock was trading 161, 162. And I was like, apparently the market doesn't care. I even tweeted it. Well, you know what happened? Later on in the day, market started to care. Nucor ended up losing 10 bucks. I mean, here's a stock that's cyclical. Here's a stock that's talking about earnings coming down. I mean, maybe we should just read and you know listen to what the companies are telling us here and a lot of them are saying about a potential slowdown here is it going to happen in tech i don't know like tech seems to be you know bulletproof to a certain extent a lot of this but does it mean like nvidia is going to continue to just keep blowing away you know and going to keep growing earnings at the rate they're growing or was there pull forward there i mean there's a question of that too I think as NVIDIA goes, this market is going to go here, though. And I don't think it's coincidence this market all of a sudden starts to look bad after NVIDIA has a couple of bad days. Is NVIDIA the Cisco of the of, of our time? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cisco, just to take you back to when I started at the Bray Trading Office back in 1999 and you know, getting into 2000, 2001, Cisco, CSCO, is the most valuable company in the world. And it was trading at 80 times earnings. And people are like, well, it's going to grow into that earnings. Well, it eventually did grow into those earnings. Unfortunately for the longs, though, the PE contracted massively here. Cisco topping out at $85 in the year 2000 
It is now $56.23 cool years later. So you won't see it on that chart because you just can't quite go back far enough. But you know what? Oh. If you could, you see the bubble burst. $85 was a high in 2001. So I think Mitch's charts maybe go back further than that. Joel's only got mm -hmm. the 20 years. Yep. So if you're only got 20-year charts, you think, oh, this is an all-time high for Cisco. Ah, ah, ah. No, <laughs> it's not. Because when you pay 80 times earnings for something and you hold on for too long, usually you lose money. All right. Now, one thing I did want to point to also, and you just pointed to maybe seeing slowdown. I wonder if that's going to come with also maybe some credit card delinquencies. Um, this is also from Q2, of course, about a month old data. We'll get some new data up soon, but you guys can see the delinquencies here and the new credit card starting to jump. And another thing that we've been seeing and hearing about is auto loan delinquencies. Oh, We're at 7.3% in Q2. Now, mortgage delinquencies are remaining low. We kind of know what that yeah. is from, right? The low interest rates that they got in the first place. <laughs> yeah. um, paying that one. Yeah, yeah right? they're paying that one. But the, the car loans, those are starting to struggle. Credit cards are really starting to struggle. So I wonder, is this starting to really show that slowdown? I think the big ticket stuff is going to hurt. And again, housing has got to pass because we know everybody's locked in and the supply is down. So that's why housing, but even the home builders are starting to take a hit here lately. Uh, so yeah. the numbers are still fine, but then they hit Lennar. They did buy the dip on Lennar, but they did hit it on decent numbers. But I keep thinking like this GM and Ford strike, and we can talk about this. And you know, the UAW is you know, talking about record profits, record profits. We want a piece of that action. But you know what? automotive industry is very cyclical and we are at we were at the top of the cycle and i think we are going to fall off a cliff because i think there's gonna be a lot of people who cannot afford new cars you know to the cox automotive gentleman that we showed on the show a week ago um 50 of people are priced out of the new car market 50 percent. so yeah. i mean you lose a lot of potential customers there now a lot of those potential customers maybe weren't there in the first place but there is definitely a lot of people who are going to have less money than they did when interest rates are this high and you get those big ticket stuff you know we've saw enph you know a financing play that stock just cannot catch a bit you certainly see the airlines you know where these are expensive things going on trips where people all went on their trips now are they all of a sudden gonna start you know curtailing their expenses we don't know a lot of this fuel airline sell-off is because of fuel prices so maybe demand does stay high or maybe you know, the consumer starts to get more stretched and saying, we'll put that trip off for a few months or next year because, you know, we're just a little bit stretched for cash right now. We'll put that trip off until they lower rates next year. What if they don't lower rates next year? What if rates stay high? Are you prepared for that consumer? I don't know if the consumer is. Lots of things to worry about in this rosy stock market. We'll get into a little bit of some Fed outlook, but I wanted to add uh, over the weekend, of course, for Stellantis and the United Auto Workers, of course, the strike continued this weekend, but Stellantis stepped up at least a little bit more as they're offering union workers raises of nearly 21% over the course of the contract and included an immediate 10% pay increase. But still not enough, at least for the UAW for now, as they continue to battle back trying to get the most that they can. We had the relief pop on Friday. The strike actually happened. And what we said was, you know, it was, you know, price. We knew they were going to strike. So it was kind of maybe somewhat predictable they were going to squeeze the shorts. People who were short, they're saying, okay, oh, yeah, they're striking. I'm going to make some money now. Everybody knew they were striking. It was like Phil Lebeau was on there. They're going on strike. There's going to be no deal here. There, You could see the talks. There was going to be a strike. 
So the stocks went the other way just to punish the maximum amount of participants. So we'll squeeze those people who were short, squeeze those, get their stock from them, and then eventually start to leak again. I think that's what happens. I think you could see a little slow leak on these stocks. You know, and maybe we squeeze them more. And, you know, valuations are cheap. I'm not going to say that they're not. Uh, but again, it's top of the cycle, strike, prices going up, margins are going to get squeezed even when they get a new potential labor deal. So don't expect those record profits to continue just because of that. And then if the consumer demand comes down a little bit, you could see a situation where GM and Ford could actually go red in their earnings, meaning not making money. Oh, oh man. That would not be pretty. So I do believe, and we continue to say, I think General Motors and Ford are value traps. All right, we'll see what happens with Stellantis and that UAW. But I wanted to show here the Fed tool, of course. And what is it showing us? 99% chance of no interest rate hikes at this meeting. So I think we can pretty much put that on the back burner, right? They're I mean, if it's saying yet. 99%, I don't think anyone in their right mind is thinking that they raise interest rates at this meeting. Now, the question will be more of the actual conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And how dovish and hawkish does that go? What are you guys expecting to hear a little bit? I'll kick it to Joel. What do you think he's going to come The is same be a thing. The same thing that he's been saying. The same thing is the, I mean, people are just not listening. He's been yeah. saying the same thing. Inflation, he he is not convinced that they've whooped inflation. He's not convinced. He doesn't have to take rates higher of maybe another quarter point, another half a point. He's been saying there's a lot of factors to consider. He's data dependent. He keeps saying the same thing. Yeah, we're not listening. And people want to put words in his mouth. So yeah. that is, I'll let you count. I'll let you comment on that. But to me, no, it's I'm just with like, you. He's been very consistent with, with with the speech. I mean, you know, they've been saying about you know if they get off, take off there, you know, they're, they've got their, you know, on the inflation, they're holding them down here. They got their, you know, he's on there on the ground inflation. They're putting their, you know, foot on their throat, trying to choke them out. And they got to keep choking it out. And they feel like if they're scared, if they take the foot off the inflation chokehold here that they've got on it right now, that's going to start to come back in. Well, if you start lowering rates, you start all of a sudden just coming in and start, you know, lowering rates prematurely, absolutely it'll come back in. It came in before because of that. So I'm with them. I think you got to have some short-term pain for long-term gain here. Get rid of the inflation entirely. And you do that by keeping the rates elevated and it'll kill it. And that's what we're starting to see is, you know, we are I'm, I'm, we are seeing inflation start to get in check. I mean, so far, let's give them some credit. I mean, yes, they stayed, you know, obviously the monetary policy was too loose for too long. That was on Powell, but they've been pretty good and consistent with their speech here. They're going to stay on the tightening policy here for the foreseeable future. And that's going to continue to probably put pressure on stocks to a certain extent. I don't see this imminent rally happening where, okay, we beat inflation, let's start lowering rates right away. They don't want to do that. And they've also seen that the economy can handle higher rates. I wouldn't yeah. have believed that. I wouldn't have believed that the economy could go from basically free money, you know, 0.5% or 1%, you know, Sure, two percent or two and a half on your mortgages to be able to handle five, six, seven percent rates. I would never have believed the consumer could survive. Never. They have, they have found a way. So we have proven, and the power has proven that this economy can handle higher rates. Well, why go back to you know we're just basically normalizing? I mean, over the course of time, rates were not at zero. Still low. We're still at a we're still low, low relative to the course of time. So we basically just normalized rates. So maybe this is the new normal, folks. Maybe get used to paying a little bit higher rates. This could be the new normal. And what about for your fixed income? I mean, this isn't bad for everybody. 
This isn't bad for people that are on, you know, fixed income and the people that have been, you know, I'm going to tell you to stay out of the stock market for a long time. It's rigged. There's a lot of things that happen. I'm just, you know, of course, you made absolutely nothing for decades, but there's some people now that are just, hey, 5%, I mean, 5, 5.5%. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know if those people are going to be out buying, uh, getting new solar panels or buying new cars and things like that. Uh, but you know, it's historically, I mean, my, what was your first mortgage, Dennis? My first mortgage was uh double digits. I mean, you know, 5% now, well, the, the mortgage rates don't, are don't scare bad. me, Joel. Don't scare me, man. <laughs> we and can't it's not afford gonna, that. Man. It's not going we to double digits. The U S the U S government can't afford double digits. We can't so afford we're kind that. Of a, <laughs> we're kind of to where we can go. I don't believe we can continue to just go up 10, 12, 15%. It's not going to happen. We're already yeah, starting to see break. teetering here at this level. We've hit the teetering level. So now hold it up here for a bit. Let's see what transpires. Let's see what happens. Can the economy handle the rates up here? They, they've got the opportunity. Economies just fall off cliff, they lower rates. So that's the one thing, you know, that I say, you can't be full bearish here either. Like, oh, we're going to crash and burn and it's all over. Because the Fed has so many bullets in their chamber here now. So I just think we're in for a period where stocks maybe, you know, don't continue to rise like they've been rising here for the last six months. Just go sideways for a bit. A cooling period. Let's call it a cooling period. I think the other thing, too, and then we're definitely going to move on, is, um, you know, I, I think rates would probably would have started going up in uh, in 20 or 21. You know, I think that that, you know, we had that little uh, little interruption in the global economy and stuff. And so instead of the Fed perhaps looking at tightening, man, they were just handing out checks and handing out money and that that, you know, that just kind of exacerbated the problem. So, uh, but as we speak, though, SPs are trying to get back unchanged. Uh, we're down three and a half handles here, sub forty five hundred. Uh, arm, do you want to talk yeah. about an arm and a leg, Mitch? Or do you want to pivot to something else? Well, I just wanted to finish up that conversation with oil above 90. And that's something definitely to keep an eye out for, right? Yeah. If oil yeah. goes into 100s, for sure, they're going to be thinking about inflation getting a spike. So that's one thing that I definitely am keeping an eye on. Um, I don't know if oil turns around from here. There is a conversation uh, by uh, Saudi Energy Company that should be coming at around 839. So stay tuned for see if maybe we see some change in oil. But Definitely spiking above 90s is a pretty big spike here. Oil stocks had a pretty rough day on Friday. They were up in the morning. Most of them trading higher. Most of them finished lower. Despite oil finishing near the highs, the oil stocks themselves were not participating. And that is a sign, you know, that sometimes the stocks actually lead the oil. So when you start to see the stocks start to roll over, sometimes oil will actually follow it. I've seen that happen before. So just keep an eye. I don't think we're going to continue to see just this relentless oil demand here. I think the economy is going to start to cool off a little bit. And I think that will actually bring oil prices back down. But the Fed's looking at this oil prices, to your point here, Mitch, and saying, what the hell? We're not going to come start lowering rates here and oil continues to blast off. They want to break that too. They don't want the consumer going to the pumps and paying a buck, you know, 75 a liter in Canada or whatever it is over in the States. Always a little bit cheaper in the States, but it's really expensive right now, gas. Joel, any outlook on these charts? Uh, on, the, uh, on the crude, oh, why, well, why? Do you want to do the opposite of what I say in crude? Uh, I mean, it's been a, a very confusing. 
because if you're talking about you know a recession or a slowdown or anything, well, crude's not indicating that. Uh, the only thing with crude is I just look for like a you know a, a potential reversal off of like a double top or a triple top, and it's just not doing that. It just keeps forging higher every day. Um, I'm looking at the monthlies here. We're trading at uh, 90.89. Uh, you got a pair of monthly highs from the end of 2022 at the $92 level. That's a buck away. I mean, the also thing with uh, with futures, uh, with the crude oil futures, is man, is they roll them every month. You know, so like when you're, you know, the, there's a lot of things that go into the technicals besides the daily highs and low. But right now, there's, uh, you know, they're uh, they think demand probably is going to increase out of China. We keep hearing that Chinese economy is going to pick up, that they're doing things to do that, and uh, there's going to be more uh, more demand for oil. So that's what. Uh, and I know some people are really worried about a, uh, you know, a major energy crisis. But I mean, if the, you know, if the economy really slows down, that people will uh, they'll be walking to a restaurant instead of driving to it. Let's get to upgrades. Downgrade Bernstein initiating coverage on arm holding with underperform rating and announcing a price target of $46. I know I'll be looking at arm today to see if it could recover. If it can't, I can expect a little bit more downside in tech. Safe to say, Bernstein probably wasn't underwriting this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 46. I mean, they're coming out here. The valuation on arm is crazy. Nothing short of crazy. Had the pop up, got near that seventy dollars, sixty nine dollars, seventy dollars. It's come off here a bit. It's not going to be straight down. It's not going to be straight up. It's going to have a lot of chop here, but valuation's not good. Nvidia falling off is not good for the stock either. I'm eventually going to be pair trading ARM with Nvidia because these are both AI plays here. Um, I haven't really started trading the ARM. I did make one trade on on Friday. It got down dirty a little bit on it, but. I'm not going to trade actively probably until a week or two from now, but I will be pair trading with NVIDIA. So as you see, NVIDIA is starting to get weaker. I don't think it's good for ARM. Uh, Options, I believe, uh, start today too. And we all know what uh, that did to the old VTS, right? Is that the stock? No, no. VFS, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, VFS. So, you know. (laughs) It's Don't fine. Know. It's a support, though. Hey, let's give VFS some love. You know, oh, yeah, wow. okay, got a little <laughs> bit overdone at ninety three, but it's fine. Let's support down fifteen, sixteen. Maybe we I'll get a run to like twenty or twenty five <laughs> again. I. I don't. I don't disagree. The most. Yeah. The most. I, I've yet to see this vehicle on the road, team. If if anybody has seen this vehicle on the U, United States roads, please let me know. I have not seen this vehicle, and and it's like the Tesla. Uh, the eyeball test, right? Right. We had Jason Rasnick always say that he wanted to see, you know, multiple Teslas in a parking lot. Do you see multiple VFS vehicles in parking lots? No. I, I have no, never I seen this vehicle. I think long term, you're a lot lower on VFS. So I was a little yeah. bit joking there too. But I mean, from a tactical perspective, it's actually finding some support. You know, 11, 16, two, three days after trading, then I had the ridiculous run to 93. Bubble burst. We knew that bubble would burst. We knew eventually the chart was going to look like this. We just didn't know the timing of it and how ugly, how crazy it was going to get. Uh, the bubble burst the day the options came out to spinners. You know, great call that he made. You're finding some support in here. I think when we look at the stock two years later, I think it's a lot lower, meaning it could be single digits or less. Uh, but, you know, could you get a pop-up before that? Anything's tradable. Next upgrade here comes from Micron Technology to buy, raising price target to 85. And who is it? 
of course, Deutsche Bank stepping up here. Uh, really? Micron's chart's been looking good. Now has quickly pulled back here in the pre-market. Is this an opportunity to buy? No, sell. I, I'm, I would sell it uh, into this. I think Deutsche Bank is late to the party here. I think the AI bubble started to pop, you know, and has started to pop with NVIDIA going down here. The stock wanted to go down. Now you get an upgrade bringing it back up. I think this is a gift. I do think, you know, it could have moved to 73 or 74, 75. Sure, no. it could. But I, I think you got a lot of technical resistance here. I think this is a selling opportunity more than a buying opportunity. If I was to say, uh, you mentioned 73, 74. If, you, if we were going to go a little bit lower and we were going to look at the price action today, and also over since the end of July, Triple D or Mitch, what what would you say ahead of those levels is a big level? Well, that's seventy two where you popped yeah, out yeah. there. Yeah, and then you're coming seventy two fifty something like that. Sure, right here. Yep. And and the other two, when I when I look at charts like this and I see pops like over a whole number after that, I say, well, what did it do after? Right? What did they do after they cleaned the book out all the big seventy two sellers here? Mm-hmm. Boom. Came back down hard. Now you did it again this time. The you know you had a bad day in the market on uh, on uh, on Friday, so maybe that's not as fair. But um, man, that just I don't know. Just really keep a close eye. Uh, you did spike up there to the pre market, so that's a good thing, right to seventy two even. But uh, don't know where to buy it, but certainly have an inkling where to potentially sell it. All right, I want to bring this into a conversation that's pretty interesting, and I have a graphic to bring up here to talk about it. We'll get back to upgrades and downgrade, but I wanted to talk about Intel versus AMD here. And this was on Reuters, of course, after Intel had a tough day after the chipmaker said that it's delaying its 7 uh, nanometer chip. And, of course, this is a chip that's very important for kind of the AI outlook. Also, uh, pushing this back, now expected in late uh early 2023, late uh, kind of second half of 2023 expected now. Um, And so right here is a very important outlook. Which one's going to win the party here? Is it Intel or AMD? What do you expect here? Oh, I think at Lisa Sue, I would bet with Lisa Sue all the way. I think Intel just hasn't been, they're trying to redefine their business to a certain extent though. They're trying to go other ways, obviously not competing directly with NVIDIA anymore. Um, I think technically, Intel looks teetering to me. It's had a really good run. I mean, we're 25 to 38. Time was stocked up 50% in the last few months. It's been a good move for Intel. There could be a cooling period ahead. AMD never really got going. It got had that big move, you know, after, you know, actually after we had bought it, um, it had the big move quickly from 95 to 130 and then just never really got going again. I did sell half of it, you know, that back at 114. Obviously, wish I would have sold it all because it's at 100 bucks kept half i would bet on amd over intel all day mm, boy oh boy the, uh good support uh this has got to stay in triple digits that's the only you know that's major for amd i'll talk about the technicals 1005 you hit and then you hit uh 99.58 so you're coming into an area where it it needs to hold uh, after that, things just get real thin between uh, 80 and 100. We know the stock likes to go with the market. So, you know, you're going to need to catch a bid in the market. Intel, I've been holding on for this thing for way too long. And I'm not even sure what my average price is, but I'd be more inclined to sell it than buy any more right here. It hit that 40, that psychological, they did with the 40.07. 
now trading in the red. At the least, I'd be looking to see what happens at 36 bucks. That's the last uh, measuring the last rally. Couple daily lows there, so no major. No, I wouldn't even call it major support. I'd be looking for a drift back down to 36, perhaps hold and turn up again. For it's, it just seems like they just like they give you some good news and the stock goes down. Then they give you bad news and the stock goes down. And then they give you really bad news and the stock goes down even more. So I mean, it just um, it's had a nice run. I'm not sure had any bad news in the last few months. The stock goes up in absence of bad news. (laughs) And and Disney, maybe the same thing. I mean, it's starting to go. And we've talked about this. And I've kind of turned bullish short term. I've talked about the A3.5. And and I was like, oh, I can't do it on Disney. I can't. I know. I'm not long it either. I haven't bought it. Well, I've been playing it, though, from the trading (laughs) perspective of it. You know, like buying dips on it and just flipping and flipping it. And it has been working. It worked again on Friday. It was dipping, and then, you know, they buy it back up again. So, I mean, it has turned short-term for Disney. Long-term, they got a lot of problems. Well, let's take a look at the miners this morning as Bitcoin is very strong, and it's giving them a nice little lift here. Mara already kicking it to 1037, closed at what I had, 980s? No, a little bit lower than that. Yeah, 979 on Friday. Um. I think I'm along Bitcoin if we get some more regional banks teetering, and that's the only reason. So I would say, uh, you know, this pop here this morning, if it was on, like you were saying in the pre pre market show, Mitch, if it was on like a regional bank collapse, popping up, yeah. I think that was the time to Bitcoin. We haven't seen any problems imminently, you know, going with the regional bank. I do think there could be some more problems. The future, but I'm not going to try to speculate on that. And I think you'll have a chance. Like I thought, you get headline. You know, people are, are don't you know just all of a sudden you know they're on big. Start to see some problems in the regional bank from Bitcoin. Not today. Hey Dennis, um, how's your? Uh, are you are you losing your quotes at all? Because you're, um, you just broke up a tad there. Yeah, it seems like your internet's cutting out a little bit, Dennis. I was checking on my side to see. No, you know what it was. I was I was just logging into another system here. It just ate up my probably my (laughs) for a second. So you should hear me fine now. Sorry, I was just saying I'm not buying Bitcoin until I start seeing some regional banks hitting the headlines again. Yeah, we'll see what happens. What What do you see on these charts, Joel? You're good. Ah, uh, this Mara, I mean, if you own, you know, this has been a really nice rally in Bitcoin, and then this thing closed near the low of the move yesterday, so you're getting a pop. I mean, if you want to participate in the Bitcoin rally, then buy Bitcoin. I mean, these stocks just never, you know, it seems to me, like, if you had this pop here, 60 cents, you want to just look for immediate follow-through. And then maybe get, uh, you know, the next daily high comes in at 1064. But it just doesn't just doesn't seem that, you know, it, if you're going to be in Bitcoin, it seems more to be in or, you know, uh, stocks. Well, you know, you've had you get a nice move in the futures. But, yeah, it's up six percent. But I keep an eye on 1064. I don't even think it's hit that yet in pre-market trading. If you're looking for a target in Mara. All right, it's time to get to everybody's favorite time on Mondays. You guys know where it is. Dennis is going to do a little dance, and we're going to get to Market Structure Mondays. What's going on, Tim Quas? How we doing? 
Good morning, guys. Are we sure? Uh, well, there's plenty going on. Are we sure it's everybody's favorite? That could be, could be hey, presumptuous. Hey, hey, hey. hey, hey. <laughs> I, I think it's everybody's nice favorite. Our favorite. <laughs> <laughs> it's everybody's the favorite. Dance. Yeah, you yeah, know, the you bushwhackers. Know. I hadn't brought it out in a while, so Mitch said it, so I had to do the bushwhacker <laughs> dance. I don't know why I started making Market Structure a bushwhacker thing, but I love the bushwhackers, and I love Market Structure Edge, and I love Tim Floss, so that's why I do the dance. Back at you. Thank you, Dennis. Good to see you guys. What do you see? So we're not out of the woods. Yeah. No. No. I well, yeah. So it depends on what woods you're referring to, uh, Joel. <clears throat> but uh, if you're, you know, if you're talking about the the uh, the expirations cycle, uh, we tend to here we think about the expiration cycle as encompassing the whole series not just what happened on friday we could you know we, we could talk a little bit about that so friday was was uh, what we used to call quad witching and and dennis you might know better than me there are very i don't know are there any single stock futures that are that are you know exchange traded i don't know that there are but anyway it's you know it's when stock and index options and futures expire there were <clears throat> s and p s and p uh standard pours index rebalances, all of that on Friday. But there were things on Thursday. And then today, the new series trades. I mean, to us, this is a very important day because you get to benchmark whether money is recommitting to its, its leverage, uh, hedges, substitutes. So we watch that pretty closely. We like to call Tuesday, counterparty Tuesday, because all yep. of the banks who traffic in that will square the books. I mean, they won and they lost, and they're going to have to square the ledger. And then Wednesday, as the Fed does or does not do anything, probably nothing, VIX uh, options expire. So to us, the whole period extends from Thursday through Wednesday. It's not always that way. This is one of the, the, the expirations periods where it's split into two weeks. Uh, but I think that that promotes arbitrage, and we, the way we, we prove it is we look at the behavioral changes. And if there are behavioral changes in what we call risk management, the presence of counterparties associated with with equity trades, we can get a pretty good read on that. So no, I don't think we're out of the woods until we get to Thursday. Then we'll know what reality is. Until then, all of it is in some way or another impacted by what I would call index arbitrage statistical arbitrage and you're even looking a little bit farther than that right because we can get through the uh yep. the expirations we can get through the uh early part of this week but a week from friday what do we have quarterly s p imbalances you know two i mean or the end of the quarter and there's the quarter. gonna be yeah there's gonna be some yep. uh some jockey in there so uh right. so i guess you're even looking beyond uh, Thursday of this week to uh, perhaps for our next key in the market. Yeah, maybe uh, it's uh, I will. <clears throat> I'm going to lean on some data from our from our uh, market strategist Brian Wilson, but he he compiled some really interesting data that he circulated this morning. And uh, in the last week, interestingly, passive flows were up proportionately from the preceding week, 6.2 percent, as the market struggled. To me, into an index rebalance that may suggest that global macro money has reduced its exposure to equities. It's always hard to tell. You know, it, it, algorithms are designed to deceive. 
And there are great clouds of orders that are put out and 95% of them are canceled. And in behind all that stuff, things change. And to us, looking across the market, passive money has dominated for the last 30 days. I mean, it's a very dominant force anyway, but I could draw two conclusions from that. One, probably passive money has reduced its exposure to equities. Uh, number two, then, what happens at quarter end? Um, do, 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 we, do they recommit? I think it will depend on, on the data. Uh, so, so we'll find out, but maybe we head into October and we have a, we have a, 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 a nice chance to trade the market up. I don't know. We're going to see. I did expect, I fully expected the market to decline on Friday. So on Thursday, when the when the Dow was up 350 points, I put on my largest short that I've ever done. And so I short uh, I short SDS and SPXU. So those are their yeah. leverage ETFs. And so I had my best trading day on Friday since June. Uh, I, I made three percent on my portfolio on, on Friday. And he'd say, well, what? that sounds like gambling. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I am the last thing I am is a gambler. I'm all about <laughs> the probability. So when I look at falling <clears throat> overall demand, very high supply, the, the uh, passive money reducing its exposure to equities and options expiring on Friday and, and index options expi expiring on Thursday, I could conclude that there was index arbitrage. You would, on Thursday, drive the market up so you could dump your options that were that responded to that so there was a high probability the market would give back those gains so it worked out doesn't work out every time but the key to me traders is you don't just guess you want the data to be in your favor you know don't take chances just say well if i can get four or five things are working in my favor that's a pretty good opportunity. That's how Bucks I think. in a row. Let's bring yep. up market structure edge and let's look at what mm -hmm. you're seeing in the data for this okay. next coming week here because we bring okay. you on Love early Monday it. morning before the Monday morning actual trade starts to get a feel for how this week is looking. So bring yep. up the data. Talk to us about what's going to happen and what you see potentially happening this week. Okay. Yeah, I, I love market structure edge. To me, it's like kind of like when you watch in poker and then you see the percentages on the side. It's like knowing the other people's hands, right? Let's take a look. That, what is it showing, Tim? That is exactly the way I think about it, Mitch. I, I, this is what. No, what? Stop! Stop! <laughs> I'm looking at the top left corner. Right. No companies in the momentum. No. I've never, I've never seen that since you've been coming on the show. I've Henry never fresh, seen not Tim, even one fresh. company, <laughs> not fresh. even one company in the momentum filters. It, there is not a single stock in the momentum portfolio. But as, oh my gosh, this is not yeah. a, this. If, the, if you ever thought it we is. were in a contrarian market and not in a momentum market, here's right. the data for your proof. This is it, not a, a, a market to chase stocks. And when there's no <laughs> stocks in the momentum filter, don't exactly. Go there stocks, are none. Man. There Stop are the momentum none. strategies. There's none to be had. None. None. No. Dennis is, that is mm. deleting all his momentum strategies uh, yeah. from his all database. Has completely on hold until Tim Quas right. comes up back on next Monday and tells us there's 100 stocks of momentum for portfolio. Uh, right. Wow. When's right. the last time so, there was none in there? Um, in March. March. Back in March, there were none. <clears throat> During the 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 bank financial crisis, the bank crisis, I guess that's redundant. So we had a, we had a couple of days where we hit none back then too. 
so so it, right and and again it's a statistic but you know traders if if you, you have something that says well don't chase momentum you might get lucky and something does well that you're watching but the probabilities are stacked against you and so mm -hmm. you know you don't don't take risks that aren't justified by probabilities. I would look at this and say zero here, 18 in here led by healthcare. If I'm going to trade something, I'm probably going to trade low volatility healthcare like Cigna. I mean, Cigna is the most volatile stock in the low volatility portfolio at 2.2%. Well, so there's an opportunity. Uh, if Cigna is down a little bit today, uh, it's a great opportunity to produce a one to two percent return in, let's say, three days, maybe right into the Fed meeting. So I would so here's what we're looking at: very stable supply and de uh, demand, and supply has dropped sharply, one, two, three, four days down. Well, there's a probability that you get a a gain in that. But the, the it, what this data is telling you is that big institutional money that has all the inputs, all the global macro inputs is saying we need to cluster in large stable stocks. Okay, well, let's follow that. And maybe there's some opportunity to pick up small gains. This isn't gonna be you know, trading uh, Roblox or, or GitLab or stuff that will move four, five, 6%. That trade is over for the moment. Now, when it's, when it's back, we can pursue that. But right now, this is what the data would indicate. Where should we go looking in underneath the hood? Well, I, there's one. I, you know, if I I have a a Benzinga September 18 portfolio. Mm. Right, look at this, 4.8. It's not even 5.0. Demand in the market is not enough to sustain prices. So at 5.0 on a 10 point scale, it means there's there's roughly balanced buying and selling. <clears throat> so then prices will be driven by supply fluctuations. At 4.8. I don't know what happens today. New options are trading today and it can distort the outcome. But statistically, you would say, well, the market continues to have a downside bias. Here's the, here's the uh, Benzinga September 8, 18 portfolio. Only I just put four stocks in here led by fast traders, machines with a, an investment horizon of a day or less. Healthcare is the leading category. Notice that demand's very level, supply is falling. That's what you're looking for right now if you're going to be long. What's I'm in there? It would, it, I'm still tempted to be short the market because of these conditions, but there you go. PXD and energy, very nice, big, stable stock, uh, opportunity to produce you know, a, a modest gain. Its volatility is only 2%. So for instance, if it, were, if it starts out flat and uh, you have a chance to, to buy that stock and maybe make 1%, but if you do make 1%, take the gain. Just be happy with that. Um, Aircap, you know, they're a supplier to the to the airline industry. 2.2% volatility is the smallest of the group. Here's Cigna, 2.2% volatility. So you're only after about half that because machines will give you half of it, roughly. And and so what I prefer to do it doesn't always work out this way. Is is if they're down half, one of those is down half its volatility today. I'm I probably buy that because in the next two days, the probability that it regains that half of the volatility is very high statistically. It's there's a 75% chance of it, still 25% risk, but that's what I'm willing to take. So AstraZeneca would be round us out there. So that's to me what you look at. And otherwise, be very, very careful here. There are a lot of you know tectonic plate shifting going on here during as we finish off September options expiration.
All right, so uh, let's do a little bit of something special for you guys. You guys smash the like button here. We're going to do a little bit of some ticker time with Tim Quast also joining us. Uh, so you guys in the chat, drop some tickers. We can take a look at a market structure edge. Joel can make a technical comment. And then Dennis and I will try to add on some story. How's there that outlook there? We, you, you guys got the best of the all worlds here. So let's get after I'm it. I'm going to get the drop first ticker. One, I just I don't know if you have in your system yet. Do you have arm holdings in there yet, or not yet? Not oh yeah, um, probably, probably not. It's because only two up. days or three days of data. It should be in there. It, it'll be in there sometime today. I've talked yeah. to our our chief data engineer this uh, over the weekend. Said there are two to add, but we need we need a minimum of two days just to just for it to manifest. And really, we like we like. 10 days to look at patterns okay so i, I can't quite do it yet so let's do nvidia to start then let's do yeah, nvidia you're reading my mind triple d yeah the, the, the chat wants to hear more we talked nvidia a bit right. off the hop we're concerned about the breakdown through 450 but let's look in the data and see what the data says right so so the time to to buy nvidia to me particularly is right when it hits 10 and supply declines so that's where you can get your gains and the moment supply starts to rise or demand falls, you're not going to capture it perfectly. That's the time to leave. And right now it's one and supply is 52%. I would prefer to see those things reverse. And it's a great illustration of how, you know, everybody <clears throat> on the planet in some form or fashion, I'm, I'm over, overstating it, but owns NVIDIA because it's one of the most liquid, uh, largest uh, stocks in the U.S. equity market, but you, you you can't you know you can't beat the market by owning stuff somebody else doesn't. You just have to own it at different times. Hmm. And so here's your key: don't own it when demand is falling and supply is rising. Just park your money where you're earning four and a half percent in cash, and then buy it when demand rises and supply falls. And if you do that, you will consistently outperform your competitors. So demand is at one right now. Do you start yep. buying when it starts to go to two, three, or do you wait until it still gets up to five? NVIDIA, you can buy as soon as demand rises. I mean, if you want the absolute best probabilities of producing a return, when a, when a stock like NVIDIA, which is a momentum stock, hits 10 and supply ticks down like it did right here, the probability of producing a return within three days is nearly 100%. Now, you know, that means it's still, you still could go wrong. You know, if there are other things going on, options expiring, if they report earnings, if there's some kind of major Fed decision, those things can affect those outcomes. But that is, that is statistically optimal. You're very high probability, but you could buy it on the uptick in demand, particularly if supply doesn't move. Demand rises, supply does not, price is going to move. It's just a basic economic principle. What do you yeah. see on the technical side, Joel? I, I don't think, I don't, regardless of supply and demand, I, I don't think there's anything that could get me, there's nothing technically telling me to buy this stock. And okay. the reason I, yep, and the reason nothing I'm saying here. that, nothing in here. Number two, I mean, look at, look at all these green monthly candles. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's a nice and now, thing to focus on. Yep. And then now you're going to get a red monthly candle. Yeah. Right. I mean, unless something really changes here, you know, you had a red candle, you had another red candle, then another red candle, and then you had three out of four. So if I had to pick, you know, it, it, to me, I, I, I'd, I'd right. If I was long, 
I'd be hoping for all oh, 450 is going to be major resistance, but you know, that's 20 bucks away. Uh, but that, yeah, 400 looks like this thing has a date with 400. Richard Williams wants to take a look at Pfizer. What about okay. Pfizer? That's an interesting one to maybe take a look at. I'll go to you first, Tim. What's market okay. structure edge maybe say on Ones, Pfizer? Ones all right. So 30 day supply demand view here. That's what this <laughs> is. So if you've never seen this before, price is here, top great graph. This is the algorithm called demand. And Pfizer is a, is a large cap value stock. So it spends a lot of time at five and then supply a short volume. Again, I wouldn't own Pfizer. It's a one. There is this is this is a good sign. If demand rises, that's a good time to buy. But this would tell you to leave, right? So if it's a five and it drops to four and supply has jumped above the trend, you're out. Just take your gains and wait for those conditions to to reverse. So we only need one thing. We need demand to return to five. Then I would buy Pfizer. Right now, I would not. Eli Lilly lets us stay in the same sector oh, here because this is moving and moving and moving and moving and moving and non-stop bid from when me and mitch liked it back at 320 yeah. it's got to 600 momentum was just so high on this thing it had a bad day on friday does that change anything uh well here you know here's why it has done so well it's never been below five in this 30-day period we could back that up too here's the momentum stretch where you had insufficient supply very strong demand that's what drove the price and it still stayed strong but here's what happened right into options expirations so as we were heading into options expirations um the this short what you know what is it it's a short bet uh it's not you know 52 percent was as high as it got but you can say that there was a short bet into options expirations it's unwinding it's not bad if you own it i'd stay in it because demand and supply are diverging in fact this is this is kind of an ideal time to buy when something hits 10 and supply falls th th this is like nvidia when those conditions exist you have almost a of a, a you have a, n over 90 percent chance of producing a return in three days if you're long that stock so i yeah that's really good you say well why wouldn't that show up in in the momentum portfolio because the momentum portfolio looks for moves of greater than three percent, Eli Lilly doesn't have that much volatility, and that's why. But that's a good. That's really good. We've been on the line with with uh, <laughs> with Tim Quas on our market structure Monday here, giving us a great outlook on the markets. Tim, thank you. We'll be dialing you up again in, uh, I believe, in a couple of weeks. All right. Look forward to it, guys. Good to see you. Have a great week. All right. Like always, you guys can check out all this information on Market Structure Edge. Just threw up the link there. And I did see a question in the chat on uh, supply and demand by Scott Jeffries. So, Scott, I would definitely go ahead and go to Market Structure Edge. Learn a little bit more about how they're getting this data. You guys got the link right below. To check it out. What are we yeah, seeing in the market? He's Joel? giving you that bottom line data, but you know he he can tell you about how it's compiled. So exactly. we can't we can't comment to that how they're putting it together. A little right, bit so of a rally back, a little bit of a rally back. I'm uh, trying to recapture that low from Friday right here, right now, 44.94. Last week's low, we're trading 94 and a quarter. So doubles, that's what they need to do. Get a bid there, 44.94. Take us back into 4,500 range. That would be the uh, uh, the plan for the bulls, for the bears. Take out that pre-market low. Take out 83 and a quarter. I got nothing on that, really not much on the downside after that. So that that's the early setup, kind of a, 
uh, a uh, docile down four and a quarter handles. A lot of value stocks holding us up here today, holding the indice, holding the SPY up here today. When you look under the hood, you see problems all over the place. Obviously, in lead, led by NVIDIA, which continues to break down and make new pre-market lows here. 429 it's down $10 here now. I have a hard time believing that NVIDIA is going to go down 10 bucks, and the S&P and the Qs aren't going to start to roll over. So, because it has been your leader on the upside, and this is still your market leader here. So keep an eye on this. I think the S&P could start to roll over. Um, Microsoft, Meta are down. Google's down. Amazon's down. Apple is up. It's one stock bucking the trend. Um, I don't know if there's a, if there's news on that or not, why, why it's trading higher. But sometimes I just got to buy something because the NSC isn't down much. The S&Ps aren't down much. Oil is up here fairly strong here today. Some value names are strong. Um, Staples are having an okay day. But that NVIDIA just sticks out like a sore thumb here when I'm looking at my screen. And it makes me think that the S&Ps are not going to continue to hold up the way they are. All right. My final comments, I'll be looking at, of course, Microsoft as I'm looking to see what happens with that stock. Of course, uh, we saw it kind of get strong. I was wondering if it was going to lead the rally back as it led the downside action. Ugly day on Friday. So we'll see if it can get a bounce or not. Any technical levels on on Microsoft that you could give, Joel? Because I always love uh, a uh, little added Mr. levels yeah. on that. You know what? I put this up a while ago, um, and I, that that big old move from March. So I'm thinking maybe we could come down to 307. But uh, right now, a more relevant number. All those lows at 330, practically the lows for the week. So boom, you got it right now. I call resistance at that 330 area, and then things open up just under 330. All right, Joel. Who will we have on tomorrow on pre market prep? Oh, Dennis is going to be real excited. He can talk <laughs> hockey. He can talk hockey. Uh oh, ho hockey and pot stocks and overall market. Who would that be? It's got to be Tim. Yep. Tim Seymour, of course. Uh, excited to get into that. Perfect action. timing. Hockey season's getting started here. Cannabis here, is hot lately. So. Did you see the Babcock news? Babcock. Yes. Yes. Resigned because of the. He resigned already. Photogate. Photogate. I'm going to call it. Yes, he resigned. He resigned. Yeah. Man, you so, gotta just watch what. Would you, well, did you hear any? Bessonet, Bessonet, calling him out there. That's right. Back to uh, spitting checklets, the podcast, and you know, he had player reach out and saying, "What are you talking about? He made you show his photos." So, if you don't know the backstory here, yeah, Babcock, coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. I guess the players were coming in and they wanted to like get a feel for. You know how these players are, and he asked to like see their cell phones. Let's show me your cell yes, phone. Yes, right one now. guy. And he's yes, like flipping through and looking at pictures to see what kind of person they are. So, anyways, one player reached out to Bissonette on Spit and Chicklets, said, "Hey, you know, why should he be allowed to do this stuff?" And Bissonette blew it up on Twitter and social media. Yeah. And you know, it blew up big enough that everybody started talking about it. And Babcock resigned because of this. Photogate. We'll call it Photogate. He took the guy's phone. And he put the, he said, oh, let's see what kind of guy this is. And then I think he put the pictures up. I think up it was Boone a, Jenner. Yeah. yeah and, I, and, and he put the pictures up on a screen. Mm. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't, man, this day and age, you're doing stuff yeah. like that. I mean, you got to be thinking. But um, all right, Mitch, let's put the final bow on this show. 
All right, guys, like always, you guys can catch us tomorrow, 8 a.m., and catch Joel on the closing print. Catch Joel O'Connor at Spoos, Triple D Trader. Now to give you guys the wrap-up for the day. And, of course, I want you guys to check out the FinTech event. This can't-miss event from every mover and shaker, capital markets and FinTech leaders building relationships. You got C-suite, brokerage, executive, banking investment leaders, FinTech founders, and, of course, Get a little O'Leary action. Check it out, guys. Our FinTech event. We'll see you guys there. And now to bring you guys over to live trading. Coming up next. <music>